0: Bye.
1: You well, the latest edition of the Opening Bell podcast with me, Alex Steedman, and Matt Christie. And what a fight we have to reflect on from last weekend Chris Billam Smith and Isaac Chamberlain in a pulsating affair, bringing back big time boxing to the South Coast. Ben Whitaker with a sparkling professional debut, Fraser Clark rolls on. Josh Kelly, what next? As many questions. As answers, do you think from his latest performance on Channel 5? Does he have the stuff? I hear some people wonder. Well, we know Tommy the Hitman's Hounds definitely had that and a huge booming right hand, and we'll see that in display, illuminated. <laughs> in some kind of style, in this week from history. And we've got action this weekend as Michael McKinson looks to do what some consider to be the impossible. In other words, Matt Christie, lots to talk about.
0: As always, it was a wonderful weekend, wasn't it? Particularly the main event in Bournemouth. Um, I was genuinely so very, very impressed, in awe at the efforts That they both put forth. It was a terrific fight. And it highlighted what happens when there are well-matched fights against two of the best fighters in Britain. They very rarely disappoint. We've been banging on and on and on and on about it. And this week, I looked at pretty much every division. And there is quality British fighters in every division that too rarely actually fight each other. We know why. They go down different routes. Or perhaps closer to the truth, they're represented by so many different promoters. They've got different loyalties to different broadcasters, which makes it very, very hard to pull them together. But goodness me, there's a formula there, isn't there? Where you could put put all of the British fighters in each division, the best ones, bang them in a tournament, and you would have millions interested in the sport of boxing. But of course, we know it's not as simple as that. What we should be championing, however, at this particular point in time, is that fight on Saturday night. That was superb.
1: And that is what we're going to do in just a tick. After the news headlines, don't want to start on a potential dull note, but one of uh, boxing's oldest stories uh, looks like it's going to rear its very, very ugly if uh, the frizzy-haired head once again. Don King in the news lines. I was going to flag this up, actually, Matt. Um, You'll have been aware of it for some time, as I have. I was going to flag it up on the pod. Probably three or four, maybe five weeks ago, is it? is it was kind of grumbling in the background. And that is the news that Daniel Dubois has sued Don King. That has been lodged uh, stateside. It's a story you're going to follow up in the magazine next week, so we won't go into it in too much detail. But essentially, uh, Don King hasn't paid Daniel Dubois in full, and Daniel Dubois is looking to be remunerated for the purse that he was promised. And let's not forget, it was that eye-watering purse bid that hit the headlines several months ago for a fight between Don King's uh, Trevor Bryant and Frank Warren's Daniel Dubois, a fight that has taken place and a fight that Daniel Dubois won by stoppage. Are we in
0: 1983 again? You know, it's (laughs) it's astonishing that this is happening in 2022. You can understand why Daniel Dubois and Team Dubois would have accepted that fight, why they would have gone over with the promise of such handsome... Wages, really, but it. it I, th- it's, I think it's. I think it's gruesome. I think it's unforgivable that it's going on in 2022, and it's Don King, who doesn't really come with a clean rap sheet, does he? Um I mean, people that were there. We had there was Declan Taylor out for that fight, covering it. Steve Brenner, someone else in America who did a feature on Don King for us out there. He was there, and both were saying very similar things about Don King at this particular point in time. Is that he would come alive when the microphone was under his mouth, but at other times it was as if he didn't know what day it was, what fight he was promoting, what he was doing. It was almost like what was coming out of his mouth were old rehearsal lines. So you do fear that Don King may not know a great deal about this at this particular point in time. It doesn't. It just. It just paints a very, very sorry picture. And I just hope for Daniel Dubois' sake that he gets the money that he deserves. But as I say, we've got people out in America. At the moment, or a writer in America at the moment, who's following this very, very closely for boxing news and has been, and we hope to be able to print that next week.
1: Okay, and we'll we'll follow that up, that story up next week, and no doubt he's going to kind of gather momentum. Uh, good news um, for Regis Progre, having kind of almost. And this is the way of the sport, Matt, isn't it? You have a fantastic fighter like Progre. a couple of years ago involved in one of the fights of the year against Josh Taylor, a fight that really could have gone either way. We felt... Taylor just edged it and he got the nod in a very, very tight affair. But that was a, that was one of the best fights to be made at 140 pounds. Taylor's gone from strength to strength, winning all the belts and unifying the division. It's almost as if Progray's become the forgotten man of that 140 pound weight class. And of course, uh, Zepeda has had one or two notable fights, including one of the fights of a few years ago against Barancic, where they were up and down like showground yo-yos it was it was like one of the old school firework performances that you might have seen at the fairground zapeda against pro gray mandated by the wbc for a belt that used to be of course josh taylor's
0: yeah i mean yes yeah, it's, just, it's just, again you know we could, we we could look at the negative of this in that josh taylor hasn't got the belts the, the hard won belts in the ring but this is a brilliant fight this is a really good fight i think you could make a case for pro gray still being one of the best fighters out there, he hasn't built on the momentum of what led to and included his performance against Josh Taylor. I thought he was terrific on that night against Josh Taylor, and I think, I think, I th- I think it from ringside at the time, I think I had it level after 12 rounds, um, but it was one of the fights that remains a personal highlight to me, and a l- big reason for that, of course, is Josh Taylor, but also was the brilliance of Regis Progray. And I think he can, I think he's he's kind of edging on in age now. It's not, the, the Josh Taylor fight wasn't yesterday, it wasn't last year. Uh, Regis Progre hasn't really been challenged or fought at the top level since then. But this is a really interesting fight. It's a top quality boxing match that we all want to see.
1: He should be one of the best stories in boxing Progre. You know, big extended family, willing to fight anyone, attractive fighter, can punch. And yet, He's a a familiar old tale, as old as the sport, almost too good to be put in good fights, which... Say that sentence again, too good to be put in good fights or a victim of the rankings organisations or whatever you want to say, promotional TV set up, streaming alliances, all of these things that get in the way of making boxing as great as it can and should be. And Progress has been a victim of that. Let's hope we're going to see him in a, a good fight. Just tying this together before we move on to the stuff we really want to talk about. Um, it would have been a, a big story had Jake Paul against Hasim Rachman Jr. gone ahead this weekend. A victim of that falling through is, of course, most notably Amanda Serrano, who was uh, due to fight and earn some good money as well. That that has all fallen out of bed, uh, event cancelled, uh, disagreement, depending on who you listen to or who you believe about what the contracted weight was that Hasim Rachman should make and couldn't or wouldn't uh, make. He said, she said, we said, they said. There's a lot of that going on, uh, Matt, regarding this. And of course, tied into it was the news line that had he defeated Hassan Rachman Jr., the WBC were going to rank Jake Paul in and amongst their ratings, which caused one or two pricked ears or angry responses.
0: Yeah, quite rightly too. I think I thought it was an absolutely ridiculous announcement to make. I mean, how many times do they make announcements before a fight that uh the winner between two unranked fighters, one of them will get a ranking. They're only doing that because of because of Jake Paul's profile. Um it's it's kind of what Mauricio does. He does so many good things for boxing and then on the other hand he does this and it's very frustrating. I mean, of Course, we can't get too annoyed about it now because it doesn't matter, it's not going to happen. The fight's not going to happen. Um, it's becoming increasingly difficult to ignore this Jake Paul boxing takeover as much as you would like to. And I think a lot of cynics were impressed when he initially said he was going to fight Hassim Ratman Jr. But if you take him at face value and what he's saying, if there was a, a a weight agreed and Hassim Ratman doesn't appear to have made any effort to make that. You can understand it from Jake Paul's point of view, but the cynics will say that perhaps he never wanted to fight Hassim Ratman in the first place. Um it's it's just all a little bit it's all a little bit messy, isn't it? But um going back to the WBC, they do things behind the scenes that lots of people don't know about. They've put in so many things so many new procedures in the sport which by and large have been of benefit to the sport and the fighter's safety and then this is the one that will get headlines this will get so more headlines in that the fact that they are saying that they are willing to wait rank Jake Paul if he beats a 12 and 1 unranked fighter ludicrous
1: i suppose what you would say is that i'm assuming that was going to be in the bridge class and the bridge weight class probably only has what thirty plus fighters, forty tops, possible to be ranked in the world? So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? He'd, he'd only been considered he, 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 the top thirty or top forty in the world. Sounds like a a great thing, but if you're if you're bottom three in the top forty, then then actually it means absolutely nothing. But I think there's a wider point being made, and that is. Once again we talked about parasites, haven't we in the last few weeks in in, in the sport. There's no doubt that Mauricio is, was hijacking the moment. You only have to look at look at any interview that Jake Paul does. Just check on YouTube or whether it's on Twitter and just do the click count in terms of how many eyes are on that. Millions and millions. So Maurizio knows that, and he hijacked the moment. um, For his own purpose, absolutely right. As it stands now, it's not going to mean much, but it might be something we revisit further down the line. It also shows that the possibility and the potential for the sport, if Jake Paul is as good as his word and given what he's doing with Amanda Serrano, you have to believe in that to a certain or a lesser extent. So there is possibility and potential for the sport if he's as good as his word. And I personally look forward to seeing in the future whether that is the case and how it's going to play out for him and particularly for for our our sport. What we do know is the sport at its best is the best. And we saw plenty of it in Bournemouth at the weekend Matt as a as a man who just lives down the road did it did it feel like a bit of a home fixture was your your heart beating fondly that there was there was a big fight down on the coast for people who haven't seen that kind of action whether they were new fans or old uh, whether they're boxing fans or not getting to see that showcasing the best of the sport not a million miles away from where you lived it was a it's a rare treat for people down that particular part of the world.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, It was just nice as well in the build-up to see so much good feeling about an event, Um, to see media there with a smile on their faces, not feeling like it was part of the day job. It was like a treat. Um, People going along and spending a bit of time on the beach rather than wading through an underground or struggling to get somewhere where, where a fight's out in the middle of nowhere. And I think although the ob- the reason why it was staged in Bournemouth is beyond obvious and that was that its Chris Billam Smith's hometown and therefore you're almost guaranteed a crowd but i certainly think the scope to explore kind of seaside boxing i think particularly with the summer that we've had here where would people rather visit you know why n- why not throw in why not throw in a trip to the boxing with your with your weekend away um, and i think i think it kind of heightened the appeal of the event, and in a funny sort of a way, it made the viewing experience um a lot better as well. But I mean, we still had to have Billem Smith and Chamberlain do what they did for it to be so special. And I think both fighters went above and beyond. And we said last week that we liked the fight, we called it a trade fight it had all the potential ingredient or sorry, it had all the ingredients to be a potential barn burner, but we also feared that the st- styles may cancel each other out. It exceeded all of our expectations. And then some, um, I, th- I, 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 I thought it was, it was, it was just so intoxicating from start to finish. Okay. Billam Smith, nor Chamberlain. They may never go on to, to rule the world, but they gave this everything. and, British fighters, when British fights mean something, nearly always do. Um, there would have been no question that Chamberlain nor um, Billam Smith st- could struggle to get up for this. They would have been up for this the moment it was signed. There would have been the need to kind of do, kind of work out who on earth they're facing. Who is this peculiar Spaniard I'm fighting for an intercontinental belt? What's that? You know, it, it, it was always there. The ingredients
1: were there. And it,
0: it, it delivered. It delivered.
1: It was a hell of a fight, and round two, Matt's going to go down. I think is one of the rounds of of this year, certainly in a British ring, and I, I'd throw it in in any ring, anywhere, any time in 22. Really, both hurt, both asked serious questions. Thought Billam Smith was in real trouble the first half of the round, and then he found a way to get back into it, and he hurt Isaac Chamberlain later in that second round. But and that left them, that left the tank pretty empty for both of them for the rest of the fight. And that was just the second round. I mean, it was a, it was a hard round that, that, that led to the rest of the fight asking questions of them both mentally and physically.
0: It set the tone for the fight and it seemed impos- an impossibility when the bell rang at the end of the second that even just one of them would be able to kind of sustain that, that, that level of intensity, that level of effort The fact that Chamberlain was dealing with uh, a a broken orbital bone from, we led to believe, the third round, which we then saw it kind of explode in the 11th, um, just again underlines everything that we've said so far about the heart and the courage and the desire of these one in a million men, really. Um, I I said in this week's editor's letter that often we're too quick to criticise. Um, or just a bit too cruel with an observation. Um, and that's not just people in the media. That's that's people that sat on their armchairs and they're complaining about this and that or grumbling about this or that or or whatever. But really, what, they, what those fighters did on Saturday night should remind us all the extent that these fighters will put themselves through in the pursuit of vict- victory. It's not just the, the 12 rounds boxing either it's the it's the training camp it's the sacrifices they make beforehand and after fights like that you can bet that billam smith is still aching now and you'd be even more certain that, that 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 chamberlain is struggling with his eye injury he's going to be in some pain it's that the, the hangover from these fights can last for such a long time we only have to look at the story that was in boxing news last week um with the world cruiserweight champion he is still St- he he's, he's weighing less now than he was on the night of his fight with Maris Bradus, Jay At- At- Atopaya and he is still eating all, all everything that's going into his body is having to go in through a straw this is what these people do I couldn't do it I wouldn't want to do it frankly um, but it was just nice that this fight took place on British soil and I hope I hope that it just acts as a reminder to the powers that be that all the ingredients are there. The talent is there. It's just a simple matter, well, not so simple, as evidence has told us, getting them to fight each other. But when broadcasters and promoters are looking to match fights and looking to put together competitive cards, rather than searching and scouring for appropriate opponents from abroad, so many of them, right on their doorstep,
1: Absolutely right, absolutely right. And many people, when this one was mooted, not that long ago, because it, it's only it's only three months since Chris Pillum Smith last, last last fought in the ring when he he overcame Tommy McCarthy in that in that rematch. But um, so it's a it was a relatively short training camp. And I I will come back to this, but I I do think that played a part. I, because the second round was so hard, it's difficult to be too dogmatic about how each fighter performed because that round took so much out of them and therefore the rest of the fight was a battle against themselves as much as I think a, a battle against their opponent it really was a a test of courage of of physicality it was a, it was a real test of mental strength and you saw in both corners and one thing i loved about this fight that we we saw heart and courage we saw you know two well matched fighters we got Matt some some sensational corner work as well. John Pegg in Isaac Chamberlain's corner in between rounds ten and eleven, saying it exactly as it as it is and was. You need to go for the knockout, not points. But just pick your shots. One jab, bam, bam, bam. Up and down. Just pick your punches, but you're looking for a hard Punches, few off them. That was later on in the fight. Calling it exactly as it, it was. Shane McGuigan, between rounds eight and nine before that. Reading the riot attack. Chris Billim smith feeling sorry for himself. Exhausted, literally exhausted after the early exertions. And look at the response from Billim smith down the stretch. When probably his legs didn't want to do it and couldn't do it. His mind found a way to go past where his body didn't want to go the corner work as well as the fighters it had all the ingredients of a really really good fight it's not easy
0: to kind of get reactions from fighters in the 40 odd seconds that they have and I know you have a minute break but really they've got it from when they sit down to when they get back up again you've got about 40 to 50 seconds to really make a difference it is very hard to and credit to both corners for what they were doing there John Pegg who I speak to fairly regularly. He's like a walking, talking, boxing encyclopedia. (laughs) He knows the sport inside out and he knows how to work a corner. Um, Shane McGuigan, for a long time, has been one of the best coaches in the business. Um, He belies his young years, really, Shane McGuigan, with the wisdom that he has for the sport. No doubt helped by who his father is, of course. Um, But you talk about kind of Chris Billum-Smith's relatively short training camp. And I think we highlighted it last week. The difference between their respective journeys to this fight was stark in that the competitive action they had been involved in in the last few years. Since 2018, when Chamberlain beat Luke Watkins, he'd had... Six rounds. I think he's called a third round stoppage and three first round stoppages. He hadn't had any real competitive action since that victory over Luke Watkins in 2018. Chris Billam Smith, by comparison, had come through some really tough fights. He'd shown his improvement in that time. He'd he'd tightly outscored Tommy McCarthy. He'd also then had, had the rematch with Tommy McCarthy, where he highlighted his improvement, and that will have that really will have stood him in great stead for a fight as grueling and as tough as this and I think we saw that when perhaps early on Billam Smith was he was in trouble in that second round but he roared back, Chamberlain was coming back into it in round seven um, but then Billam Smith managed to, managed to just find that, that third or fourth wind when he desperately needed it, it was a bit tougher for Isaac Chamberlain but Chamberlain didn't look like being stopped. He was going at it in the last few rounds as well. It was, it, was, it was just incredible. But ultimately, I don't think we can overstate, nor should we understate, the progress that Chris Billum-Smith has made in the last few years. He looked promising. He was unlucky, some may say to lose a very, very tight decision to Richard Reactpour. Ultimately, I think the right man won on that night. And it would have been easy for him at that point to think, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. That's really really frustrating. Perhaps I'm not going to be the best in Britain. Perhaps I'm not going to fulfil my ambitions. But he went away and he is vastly, vastly improved. The engine that he's got, the punches that he puts together, the manner in which he approaches his work is really, really impressive. I'm yet to be convinced, and I mean this with all due respect, I'm yet to be convinced that he can go on to rule the world. But goodness me, by engaging in fights like this and learning on the job and being so willing and open for education, he gives himself the best possible chance when that title shot arrives.
1: And uh, as much as it it was a great fight to watch, compelling in every department, I do feel, Matt, that we didn't quite see the best of billem smith. i don't I don't quite think we saw the same version of billem smith who's who's kind of overcome opponents recently. um three of the last four, by the way, going the uh, round twelve distance. Four of the last five have come over points. Maybe that's something that, you know, when you're moving up in in, in level, as a, a potential Achilles heel as well. They've been hard distance fights. But I don't think his engine was quite the same on the back of quite a short training camp. Um, I think that played a part. I texted you, didn't I, after sort of three or four rounds and, and said to you, he looks tired, Bill and Smith. And how much of that was because of the, the oh also second round? How much of it was because his conditioning wasn't quite at the level that it had to been for for previous fights that's what i'm thinking anyway but it might have just been a really hard fight but i thought five week camp maybe he wasn't conditioned as hard and as well as he has done previously obviously an, a nine week old baby got going into it as well and as much as his partner would have probably taken care of almost all if not most of of that side of things just the sheer emotion of of it amongst other things must surely have left its mark there you know the uh, serotonin levels th- th- that that kind of stuff can deplete you in in other ways even although it might not seem overtly or obviously so so, so I, I don't think we quite saw the very 100 percent version of bilham smith but what he showed was i think even more mental fortitude than we'd seen before and by the way speaking of that anyone who can't come away now and say Isaac Chamberlain is a tough, hard man, and that's something that may have been questioned previously. No way you can have, have any doubt about that now.
0: No way at all, no. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of truth in what you say about Bill and Smith's kind of build-up to this particular fight. It, it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been ideal. Um, it will have been a magical time, no doubt, welcoming uh, a child into the world, um, but it also brings its own pressure. And you're right, he had gone from training camp to training camp, essentially. Um, and, But I also think the fact that he accepted this fight when it was put to him fairly recently, um, and yes, yeah, that does appeal to me, that fight with Isaac Chamberlain. Yes, I want that fight. Yes, I want another fight to bring me further along. No, I don't want a fight. No, I don't want an easy one. I want Isaac Chamberlain. Likewise to Isaac Chamberlain. for for accepting that fight. I mean, when you look at how special this was, you do have to take the story back to the beginning and the fact that they agreed to fight each other in the first place. And I think full credit to both of them for that. Um, I think Isaac Chamberlain perhaps will look back on that fight. He will look back on it, I hope, with great pride. And he will look at it and take so much from that um, in that he was able to go 12 hard rounds with an aggressive pressure fighter, talented fighter hard-hitting fighter like Chris billam smith particularly when he suffered that eye injury um, and you can say about Chris billam smiths build-up and therefore maybe it affected his performance but I think we would also be remiss not to mention that eye injury to Chamberlain and to suggest that didn't affect his performance would surely be untrue as well um, so in a way the fact that they were perhaps not at their best made it a better fight for for, for us um, but you do wonder if they were both a hundred percent and let's be frank about it. And let's be really honest. There's very rare when you'll get a fight, a big fight where both fighters are a hundred percent, but if they had been as good as they possibly could be, and there were no injuries involved, perhaps we'd have had a different fight. Um, I thought Billam Smith in the end was a comfortable winner. I thought the scores were more or less about right at the end of it. Chamber, I think Chamberlain could perhaps make the argument that it should have been a bit closer, but I don't think there's any argument that Chamberlain won the fight. um, but would I like to see a rematch? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd like to see a rematch. I think, I think with, there's still something within Isaac Chamberlain that this is just part of the journey for him. And I hope, you know, we talked about Regis progress being in a fight of the year contender and then essentially being left on the scrap heap. I hope we don't get a similar situation with Isaac Chamberlain. I hope that he didn't give too much of a good advertisement for himself, that that some of the other British guys don't want to fight him. Um, Because Isaac Chamberlain is a factor in this division. I think Chris Billam-Smith re-enters the world rankings about 9 or 10 this week. Um, But Chamberlain, really, by virtue of his performance against Chris Billam-Smith, has got to be around top 15, in my my opinion. He's not that far off himself. I think this is a fight in an ideal world that will propel them both forward.
1: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I suppose time will have to be factored into that, Matt. You mentioned the orbital... Uh, injury, similar in many ways to what happened to Kel Brook, most notably against um, Errol Spence and indeed uh, the other, I previously against Gennady Golovkin, and then also Daniel Dubois suffered a similar injury as well. Now, that, those don't always require surgery. It did with Kel didn't with Daniel Dubois. At this stage, it's sounding like it won't require surgery, but that's at the time of record, and we may well learn more in the coming days. Either way, Aziz Chamberlain is going to need time to mend and heal. He's already shown his stuff, mentally physically and in terms of his talent and let's not forget Matt we did say last week that we we just had a slight hankering that maybe Chamberlain would produce something special if he'd have knocked out Billum Smith in the second which he threatened to do we might have come away with that performance and we're talking a very different game now in this pod this week so that's the nature of of sport sometimes small margins sometimes big moments and uh, either way we got big in every regard in that particular fight. Interestingly, you mentioned the injury for Joe Pataya, who beat Maris Britis, and of course he's the he's the champion. He's the recognised guy in, in 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 the division now, uh, really, um, alongside Lon Ciccoli. He, he's going to be out for a while. His manager was ringside at the weekend as a guest of Ben Shalom, or maybe he was just on his holidays. Lovely part of the world with the weather, uh, such as it was. So it sounds like there is talk of Billem Smith. He's moved into our rankings inside the top ten now. So he is in the discussion and depending on how Opatia heals and the timing, maybe that's one they're trying to squeeze together.
0: Yeah, it does seem to be the case. Um I don't think it's one that they'll be looking at this year. I think that 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 we could be looking at another another uh seaside um another another seaside barnstormer. Next year, um, it's, it's going to be too soon to do it this year, I think. Um, so I think we'll probably see Billem Smith out again towards the end of the year with an eye on a homecoming world title shot. And it's not, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's the, the, the bona fide world championship. It's the man who
1: beat the man who beat the man. Um, and that's who Chris Billem Smith is aiming at. More power to him for that. You were happy with the scorecards. I had sort of conversations on Twitter. I know a few people weren't um, nine rounds to three. They felt that was a bit wide. But I think sometimes the action doesn't always translate to the scorecards, doesn't it? And just because it was a pulsating, captivating, thrilling fight doesn't necessarily mean it's a really close one on the cards. And, you know, Billim Smith probably won three of the last four. You could argue the first four were tied Middle rounds were up for grabs, but I thought Billam Smith was always just doing a little bit more in most of them. So I, I can understand why you ended up with a six point swing.
0: Yeah, and I think you know John Pegg wouldn't have been wouldn't have been urging Chamberlain to go for the finish if he didn't feel something similar as well.
1: And that was between uh, rounds ten and eleven. Good point.
0: Yeah, so I think that so I think at, at, at that point for me, Billam Smith did look like he was ahead. Billam Smith was more or less always, as you as you kinda of say there, it always felt like Billem Smith was kinda of one step ahead. And I think with fights like this it's easy, as you say, just to think, wow, every round was so very exciting, therefore it's it, it should be a draw or whatever. But if you take each portion on its own, on its own merit and work out who won that, I think Billam Smith ultimately won far more of those. Very close sessions, admittedly, than than Chamberlain did, and I think that's why we ended up with scores like that. I had no issue whatsoever with the scores. I think you make an argument for eight four um which might have been closer to to, to to my card, but 117-111 I thought was 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 perfectly fine, certainly no 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 room for complaint.
1: Yeah, we do, we do actually tried to get Chris on the pod this week, but um, uh, understandably he's been resting up and he turned 32 uh, yesterday as well. So belated happy birthday. Enjoy your new baby and hopefully we'll speak to Chris again soon. He is inside the top 10 in those Cruiserweight rankings. Otherwise, it was the Young Guns, wasn't it? Debut for Ben Whittaker, showed a lot of what he's about, Matt. In and outside of the ring, I think it's fair to uh, say Um, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch the early stages of his career, how he plays it, how he's perceived both by fans and the media and how he performs. In the ring, it's all the peas, really, isn't it? With Ben Whitaker, in the end, it was another P. It was a punch uh, when he settled down, got a bit more serious at the start of the second round. He started to move at distance, a bit more orthodox behind the jab, and he found the most extraordinary right hand. It was surgically precise around the guard, right on the money, on the side of the temple, and that was that for Greg O'Neill, who was completely outmatched and uh, as we suspected beforehand had absolutely no chance in that particular fight. But it was a showcase for Whitaker and he produced a showcase performance on his debut, Man,
0: I think given it was Ben Whittaker's debut, I think he's, he showed us kind of throughout fight week that he is already very much enjoying uh, this professional journey. He's very much enjoying the attention and he's one of those fighters where i saying he won't feel pressure but he'll thrive on that pressure for some it's too much the glare of the lights and the the primetime television slots etc for Ben Whitaker it really does seem to suit him doesn't it and I think yes you can be critical of essentially a mismatch because it is i mean they're never going to throw him in with a british level opponent they're never going to throw him in with a, even a southern area level opponent for his debut it was as you said last week quite rightly kind of reining me in a bit Um quite rightly this was kind of a platform for him to show us what he could do and I did think it at the time on the night that some of the fans that were there and they would have they may not have been there all night long and admittedly there was a lot of mismatches on that bill that's another story but if they were just getting there and they were getting there for, for Chris Bill and Smith and they were uneducated on the fight game they would have been very impressed with Ben Whittaker with the ring walk, with uh, the manner in which he went about his business. Because let's face it, fighters that are as flashy and as impressive and as hard hitting as Ben Whittaker is, um, they're not very often in hard fight at this stage of their career. And that's, when were you drawn into Nassim Hamid? When was it the hard fight that he had? No, it was the manner in which he was dispatching his victims. And it was the showbiz that he exhibited while doing so. And Ben Whittaker has got that and he's got it in spades. Of course, we operate in a different world right now. We operate in a different boxing world right now. And I don't think there's any need really for Ben Whittaker to have too many more of those kind of fights. Um, he is, clearly, he was one of the best fighters in the world at amateur level. Um, so there's no need really for fighters to be going up to 20-0, and 15-0 before they get a test. Ben Whitaker looks talented and gifted enough to be moved up a level in his second fight and so on and so on and so on. More and more we're seeing that with the talented Olympians who are coming out, in that they are in positions where they are kind of calling for the world's best after 10, 11 fights. And I think looking at long-term health, et cetera, et cetera, I think that's a good way to go as well, in that try and get your business done in 15, 20 fights, and off you go and enjoy your riches. With someone like Ben Whitaker, he's certainly got that within him, but you don't want to get too carried away. But the manner in which he held himself before the fight, during the fight, and after the fight, suggests that he is a future star.
1: And I think, interestingly, you know, his style from the amateurs moving into the pros and working with Sugar Hill, who's, you know, famously cronk-based in 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 every way and, of course, largely um, credited with the way Tyson Fury has taken his game to a, a new level. It would have been fair to wonder how that sitting down on your punches style, how long that would take to evolve for a guy who is fluid, often moving onto the back foot, and whose amateur style might not have been easy to blend with the Kronk style. Actually, when you consider how quickly he did that from the first to second round, almost immediately, like that, like the flick of a switch or the click of a finger, that augurs well for how that partnership, that style, and his development will unveil, like you, I think you can't have three, four or five more of these fights for him. That's a, those are wasted opportunities, I, I think, if you view him as the kind of guy who, after 10, 11, 12 fights, should be knocking on the door for fighting against the big boys. So if you view him like that, and there might be some people who don't, but if you do view him like that, having four, five, six fights like this I th- I think everyone in the Ben Whittaker business is not doing their job and they're milking it. If that's the case, so we'll see how he's how he's moved, but he's got the stuff, and it is too early to make comparisons. The names have started to 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 be aligned with him. Names like De Gale, Nas, Eubank, Roy Jones Jr., and you can understand why those names have have been picked back picked up. He he might split opinion. Like De did with the fans, and whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing, I think he's just being himself. So he's doing the Whitaker thing. He moves his head back, like Naz does, slightly worryingly, slightly dangerously. He does things in very unorthodox fashion, one-off things like Roy Junior did. And there's a little bit of the kind of Eubank showman about him as well, which might divide opinion in the same way that De Gale uh, did. I'm not sure De Gale played it right early on in his career. And I'm wondering the same thing with Whitaker. And I'm not making comparisons in any way. But I think it is an interesting discussion, Matt, about how you portray yourselves, how you're perceived, how fans pick up on that and how it plays in to the way that you are received and reported going on and what sort of fan base that creates and what sort of allure that creates in terms of your own profile, your own appeal and therefore of course in terms of your own percentage and how much money you make going forward.
0: I think the thing is with Ben Whittaker and a lot of those uh, those guys you mentioned there is he kind of just comes naturally. It's not like they go into the ring and think oh, I'm going to be all arrogant and horrible and disrespectful or whatever. In a similar way to kind of a stand-up comedian or a performer, they're very different behind closed doors when they've got the feet or watching the telly to when they're on stage. Certain people just come alive on the stage and that seems to be the case with Ben Whittaker as it was with the Hameds and the DeGales and the Eubanks. Um, the, we had a letter actually for the Shortly after, someone sent us one, um, and it was Ben Whitaker needs to grow up. That is one of the most disrespectful <laughs> performances I've ever seen in a British ring. He needs to learn some lessons fast. And that is the kind of, but you can guarantee, you can guarantee that the person who sent that email will watch him the next time he fights. Mm. And he will continue to watch him. He won't turn off. He won't, he will continue to watch him and almost revel in being annoyed by him. Almost as many people that used to watch Nasim Hamed, for example, would be, would, be turned, would be tuning in to hope that he got chinned. Almost as many as were, were, were watching him to be excited and to enjoy and to support. Very similar. I remember Chris Eubank, the way that Chris Eubank used to fight. Chris Eubank Senior I'm talking about. Chris Eubank Senior in the ring, the way the almost nonchalant manner he used to go about the business. And he used to more than once get a, get a decision that didn't seem to have gone his way. Or it didn't deserve to go his way and people would just be turning on in their droves hoping that this night the night that they're sat at home and they're watching will be the night that that particular fighter gets their comeuppance it in a, in an odd sort of a way it is all about the appeal i think when people force that that's that's different but with ben whittaker it all seems to come very very naturally indeed
1: oh absolutely yeah, i think you are absolutely right and i I I don't read it as arrogance personally. I, it, it, it's just part of his makeup, and if you can back it up, then that's that is a that is a, a gift, no doubt a, a about it. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it, it unfolds. And as I say, I'm not making comparisons. Listen, forget Roy Jones Jr., Eubank, and Hamid. If Whittaker has a James DeGale career he'll have done pretty well. That's not a bad starting point. If you have that career, that's not bad. It's just in terms of the characteristics. I, th- I don't think De Gill. I think the way he played it, De Geal, I don't think that was necessarily him. Um, whereas, you know, Naz and Eubank. They were playing themselves. Naz was doing that stuff right from his debut. He was pulling all those stunts, flipping over the ropes and, and sneering and, and all that cockiness. That was hammered right to a T, right from the very start. And Whitaker very much being himself. Do you think, I'll just ask you this, because, you know, he'll put the pressure on himself and the pressure will come. But do you think in 10 years time, we'll look back and say, yeah, well, there you go. He was always different. He was always a little bit special. Do you think we're going to look back on a, on a career ultimately that leads down that path?
0: In this day and age, the way that social media is, I wouldn't dream of giving you a prediction like <laughs> that. Because just imagine if in a year's time he gets chinned and then he loses again straight afterwards and then people are like, what, what Matt Christie said about him? <laughs> but all I'll say is, is that he does appear to have most of the ingredients required to be special putting all those ingredients together effectively and consistently is a different matter entirely there's so many question marks that we're not going to begin to have answers to until his career progresses but yes very much so he's had my attention for a while he's got it more so now and even though the opponent was limited on saturday night and let's make that very very clear limited in a olympian kind of level not necessarily limited when he's fighting in a small hall level but limited at this level so let's make that very clear but he's still the way he went about it as you say the little flashes of versatility that he showed the ability to move up and down gears at the blink of an eye was all very very impressive and the manner in which he took it all on his shoulders from start to finish, is something else which is, a, which is an important box to tick, and he's ticked
1: it early. He does have the makings of a special fighter. He's got something a little bit special about him. I worry about the head high going backwards personally, but his reflexes are excellent. And Matt is right to, to talk about context. Greg O'Neill stopped for the fifth time in seven defeats. And let's not forget, it's not that long ago he was fighting at middleweight. Not super middleweight and certainly not light heavyweight. He was fighting down at middleweight. He was a small man up against an Olympic silver medalist. He was supposed to get outclassed and whacked the way he was. And that's exactly what Whitaker did in some kind of style. Fraser Clark did something likewise against Ariel Bracamonte. I, I must admit, I think people were making too much of the fact that Bracamonte went the distance with Jarrell Miller. Uh, Jerome Miller was coming back for the first time in what two, three years that that fight. So I, I think that's a result that looked better than it did. Um, but either way, Fraser Clark, God, he's going to be in good, some good fights, isn't he? Fraser Clark, w- wherever it takes him, and you feel he can be pushed as a little, a little faster. I think, and he he wants to fight regularly. And he that's him. He's got the makeup. He's got the mental attitude. I suppose maybe in some ways he he needs to be reined back from himself, but he needs better tests. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, you can say, "Well, why are you being critical?" When it's only his second professional fight, but someone who has been through the Olympic cycles and has the amateur the, the the amateur education that Fraser Clark has got, really, there's no need to put the brakes on at all with him, particularly at the age he's at, as well the experience, the confidence, and the ability that he has. And yeah, you can say that Bracamonti went ten rounds with Jarrell Miller, who is back, um, and I would imagine at this particular point, not a not a uh, legally fueled Jarrell Miller, um, and Bracamonte as well. To my understanding of it is, I had a bout sheet through, and Bracamonti was not on that bout sheet with about a week to go before the fight. It was a thirty-nine-year-old Latvian was on the was on the bout sheet to fight Fraser Clark. Um, Bracamonte was a step up from that, but Bracamonte wouldn't have known anything about that fight for, um, a, 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 at least a week beforehand. But yeah, on paper, you can see why the matchmakers would have thought that was a feasible one. Clark was predictably impressive against that level of opponent. The finish was impressive. Um, and in a similar way to, I would like to see Ben Whitaker step up in his second fight, not, not 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 ludicrous levels i would like to see fraser clark start to move a bit quicker and i'm sure knowing fraser clark he'll want to be moving quicker as well i know he had he had the injury so they had to be i suppose quite sensible with him but yes with fraser clark let's see him moved on and moved on a bit quicker than this
1: and I think he wants to be. I think and it, it, hopefully his, his body holds up and uh, hands are, are OK on the back of a, a previous uh, injury. Uh, Clark with another stoppage win early on in his career. Well done to Caroline Dubois as well. Although in terms of matched opponents, that was probably the worst of the lot, uh, her opponent on the night. And there is probably about eight exclamation marks after that uh, sentence. Uh, Josh Kelly winning at the weekend as well. I must admit, man, I came away from that performance on Channel Five. I, uh, worried is the wrong phrase, but I, 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 I yeah, I, I, I was. I, I have concerns about Kelly going forward now on the back of that. I must admit, his his first—he's so talented. You talked spoke li- last week at great length about the the interview with Elliot Wardle and the the sort of mental demons and, and how that was something he'd been working on. But I think it's a, it's a technical and tactical thing. Maybe it's a, a mindset as well, but his first his first movement in any fight these days seems to be left-hand low, right-hand as his guard and defence, well, alongside the, the old Floyd Mayweather shoulder roll. And his first movement is backwards every time. It's retreat first time. He's not thinking, I'm going to get forward and be proactive. I'm going to throw punches. Everything is defence and counter, defence and counter, defence and counter. I just think he invites trouble again and again and again. And a fight that he should have dominated from start to finish. In the ninth round, you saw little glimpses of what happened in the Avenissian fight where he was in total control. And then he ended up getting a bit hassled, a bit ruffled completely and utterly non- unnecessarily and a, a fight that Bastida really shouldn't have any chance in. He costed at Kelly in, in terms of the score lines but um just with the future in mind and even fights against like Troy Williamson which is, is being muted I, I, I just don't know what to expect from Kelly now. And that's a real shame to say that given the talent he's got
0: Yes, I mean I think the word the word that, 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 that I could use that would be underwhelmed with the performance um i think we were hoping and we have hoped for great things for Josh Kelly for a long time and i also think it's fair to say that him coasting through a 10 rounder against an opponent who perhaps deep down he was not that fearful of didn't you know respect that much is not the end of the world it was it was the kind of fight that was never going to answer the growing list of questions that we've got about Josh Kelly. Um, if the Troy Williamson fight does occur, there's no guarantee it will, but that is the perfect fight, I think, for Josh Kelly. Either to take him to the next level or perhaps to convince him that boxing, after all, isn't isn't the sport for him. Uh, clearly an intelligent, deep thinker, as we spoke about at length last week, um, but often that isn't an ideal state of mind to have when you're a boxer. Uh, we spoke about how naturally and how, how it all came to Ben Whittaker um, in terms of being on the big stage, et cetera, et cetera. You do wonder if Josh Kelly is ever going to have that confidence. Um, it wasn't an impressive performance. It wasn't the end of the world, too early to write him off. Um, but you're right. I mean, he still showed that, 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 that when the opponents do what he wants them to do, he's a sublime counterpuncher. Um, but not every opponent is going to do that. And as you say as well, quite correctly, he does invite trouble where trouble has got no business being invited. Um, I would imagine it's a source of frustration for for, for both him and his coach. Um, but I just think there's so much there to work with that we are still invested in what happens next. And as I say, the fight against Troy Williamson... I think, at this stage, is the perfect fight for him. He doesn't need any more fighters that he doesn't know anything about. He doesn't need any more fighters that, um, that are levels below him in order to boost his confidence. I think now's the time for him to realise that he's reached a point in his career where he either, he either shows what he's got or he accepts that he's not going to be able to in a boxing ring
1: and we've known enough and seen enough over the years in in boxing even in in recent weeks even in recent years to know that you never judge a man a fighter by just one performance maybe it was a training exercise maybe second fight at 154 uh, maybe we'll see a different the real josh kelly next time out maybe Maybe, maybe. This weekend, we're off to to Sheffield. We're off to the States as well. Dalton Smith against Sam Amazon in a fight for the British vacant uh, £140 uh, title. We've seen so many good fights over the years. Ricky Hatton and... And John Thaxton in a, a bloody, bloody affair uh, for this very belt many, many moons ago. What a scare that was for, for Hatton. Kept in the fight by Mick the Rub on that occasion, wasn't he? Uh, one of the, the fights that, that could have changed the early pattern uh, of, of Hatton's career for this very belt. Dalton Smith, heavy favourite to get his hands on that this weekend, Matt.
0: He's got to be a heavy favourite. And you know, you know, listeners will know, readers of Boxing News will know that we do, we Really champion the British title, but if you look at this as a British title fight, it is a little bit underwhelming in all honesty. Dalton Smith this is a vehicle for Dalton Smith, make no mistake about it. The fact that he's fighting a Sheffield rival in Sheffield will probably add a bit of heat to the occasion. Dalton Smith to me does look like one of the British prospects that can go on to achieve great things at world level. He appears to have. Everything required. The fact that he's in with Sam Omezen, and I don't mean any disrespect to Sam Omezen at all. He's not had it easy in recent years, but the fact remains that in the last three years, he's just had four rounds of action against a journeyman, yet he is in the opposite corner in a British title fight. And this is the division where you would think there would be numerous other names for that. But don't doubt for one second that Amazon won't give this absolutely everything he's got, but I just think this is all set up for Dalton Smith, to look really impressive, to get a British title. It would be nice if he kept it and then defended it against some of the other fighters in the division. You've also got your Casey Benjamin, Sam Maxwell, Harlem Eubank, Lewis Ritson, Robbie Davis Jr., O'Hara Davis. We understand why the likes of Josh, K- Josh Taylor and Jack Cattrall are not going to be competing at British level, but there are a lot of good domestic fights to make, kind of harking back to how we started the podcast with the beauty of Billum Smith versus Chamberlain. But yes, my prediction for this fight, I think that Dalton Smith has just as well, again, going back to an old point that I made about Billum Smith and Chamberlain, is that Chamberlain hadn't had the top-level experience. He hadn't had any competitive rounds for a long time. And in the time that, that O'Mazin has been out of the ring and then having that one four-round kind of tune-up fight, Dalton Smith has been getting better and better and better and really impressing the vast majority of fans that have been watching him. And I just think on the night, I think that
1: will become clear. He's a really efficient fighter, isn't he? And that's not that's not damning with faint praise. He just looks very comfortable in the boxing ring. His movement is very economic and, and precise. His footwork's good. He doesn't you know, overswing with punches. Everything is, is very, very tight and neat with Dalton Smith. Very technical, good little puncher, sharp puncher. And uh, he does so many things. Correctly, And at the age of 25, it looks like he is destined for better things. That's on a bill on Dazon this weekend. Conlon, Mick Conlon back in action against Miguel Mariaga this weekend in Belfast as, as well. That's a good, solid comeback fight and a statement of intent for Conlon on the back of that terrific, terrific fight against Lee Wood. And stateside also on Dazon, Virgil Ortiz, the unbeaten, highly ranked Welterweight knockout performer, 18 wins, 18 knockouts. He's up against Michael McKinson, also unbeaten. Um, that's, a, that's an intriguing one, isn't it? A huge step up in class for McKinson. I, I've called many of his fights o- over here on his, his sort of rise towards this moment. So he's he's boxer, um, backfoot, thinker, big jump up for McKinson. Did is he, is he up to it? Ortiz, of course, trying to beat a man who's not been beaten and continue a knockout streak that so far is unblemished.
0: It's the first undefeated fighter um, that Ortiz has faced. Um, but regardless, it, it looks like just a, a ginormous leap for Michael McKinson to take. He's been written off in the past he's been underrated in the past he's not easy to hit he could make life nightmarish for certain fighters at a certain level we just don't know if he's got it within him to step all the way up to fight one of the best welterweights in the world and prove it on the world stage you 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 don't want to write people off um but you just think looking at this and looking at all of the evidence that 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 this won't go 12 rounds and uh, Ortiz will be the man with his arms raised. I suppose the only, the only danger I suppose for Ortiz is if he underestimates McKinson um, and that he goes into this thinking it's already a fight won. But of course this was scheduled for March and it was called off at the last moment, I think about four days, four or five days before the fight was due to take place because Ortiz was suffering from almost like this muscle wasting condition um, that they believe was a consequence of Ortiz trying to crash weight too quickly. And Ortiz has struggled to make weight in the past, but everything we're hearing this time is that Ortiz has not made the same mistake again. Therefore he hasn't been, he hasn't underestimated McKinson this time. Um, and that he's as, he's as close to his fighting weight as he's ever been this this far out from a contest. So you would think that that is bad news for McKinson. Perhaps the positive for McKinson is that he did manage to get a 10 rounder in on the night that he was supposed to fight Virgil Ortiz, and look decent against a B-level fighter, again winning a 10-round decision. Um, Ortiz is sorry, McKinson's style, you may say that gives him a chance against anybody. If he's not going to get hit, then he's not going to lose. But to not get hit by Virgil Ortiz is an incredible, incredible ask, isn't it?
1: It is. And I, I think, I suppose they've both got the styles to do well against each other, I suppose you could argue. But Ortiz... Does lots of the right things to to counter a a boxer like Mckinson where he'll you know he throws the jab he's busy and he will throw flurries of punches and combinations and that's exactly the kind of thing you need to do to to pin a guy like Mckinson down and I think although Mckinson probably punches harder than his record, and people probably think he's just one of those things you know a couple of stoppages. He does hold his head a little high when he retreats as well. But he is clever. He's got a great attitude, McKinson. And having that experience stateside, that'll have served him well. He knows what to expect in terms of this week, the build-up, the attention, which is going to be more than it it is on this particular uh, side of the Atlantic. And also, he's probably aided and abetted by the fact that Ortiz has been out of the ring for nigh on a year. So is he going to get the best version of Ortiz? There are, in other words... There are a few ingredients for the big upset. There are a few ingredients to suggest that McKinson might just be able to produce what would be considered one of the, the biggest surprises stroke shocks of this time. But I I think Ortiz, we, we saw against Hooker, who by the way is on the undercard in a fight against Blair Cobbs that could steal the show this weekend. But I think Ortiz just does a lot of the right things and the moves he's been making suggest that his sort of top six, top seven ranking in the World Two Eight division right now, that is not unwarranted. And that is probably some way in advance of anything McKinson's done. And you have to feel that Ortiz, even if not at his very best, will will be able to beat McKinson down the stretch. That that would be my call.
0: Yeah, I don't think we're gonna see um you know We talked about Danny Dign- Dignam a few weeks ago, where he kind of took this massive leap up in class uh, and he was, he was, he, he turned out he was outclassed. It was a horrible mismatch in the end, he was on the wrong end of. I'm not convinced that we're going to see something like that. I think that McKinson has had some seasoning at a certain level that Dignam didn't. Um, I think we can look at uh, McKinson's record, fighters like Chris Congo, Martin Harkin, Luis Alberto Ferran, those were all unbeaten guys that he went in with. The um, ronowski was a decent fighter as well that he fought in August last year, um, and he's taken away unbeaten records. So he has he has had he has been consistent at a certain level. Um, he may surprise us, but I think even if he surprises us, he's not going to surprise us to the extent he wins. Maybe he'll surprise us like Darren Barker surprised us, for example, when he went in with um, Sergio Martinez and was just giving this Herculean effort, but ultimately it just got all too much for him. Um, but I think that. I probably can't see him hanging around until the later rounds. I think Ortiz will get him out of there somewhere between, in the middle rounds I would be going for rather than down the stretch.
1: So from one of the coming forces in the welterweight division to one of the powerhouses of the 1980s. That's next. This week we take you back to the 2nd of August, 1980 in Detroit. And it is the Detroit demolition man himself, Tommy the Hitman Hearns, the Motor City Cobra, unbeaten in 28 coming into this with, get this, 26 knockouts along the way as well. Fifth fight of this year for Tommy Hearns. The previous four had gone in rounds one, round one, round four, and round three. Four knockouts in the space of a few months (laughs) and... That was before we'd even got into August, Matt. That's how they made them back in that day. And he was up against the champion of the time at 147 pounds, the WBA champion, Pepino Cuevas of Mexico, who'd gone on an unbeaten run of 12 himself. This was his 12th defence of the title. Yes, 11 wins in title defences with 10 stoppages over four years. Pepino Cuevas himself, Matt, was a kind of tour de force of the moment in this division. He was the man to beat. Hearns was the guy trying to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I went back and looked at some some old articles um, and, yeah, there was a guy called Billy Giles who was a manager of the time. He was a Gleason's gym regular. Um, and he had been absolutely taken with a young Thomas Hearns. And this was, he was speaking about Thomas Hearns when Hearns admittedly was a few years younger. It was 1978 when he was talking to Boxing News. And he says he can beat all of them out there. says, But the, the only one who could give Hearns trouble is Pepino Cuevas. He said that in 1978. Um, this fight would have captured the world's imagination at the time. But because of where it was held... Um, a lot of the tickets hadn't been sold. I think the attendance was around 14,000, but they were hoping for a lot more. And the reason it was reported at the time is because the tickets were priced too high. Uh, and in Motor City, where the slump in US sales, US car sales were, was at its most pronounced, the punters by and large couldn't afford to get a ticket. Some of the, some of the cheaper tickets were $100, which was an awful lot back then. Um People who were at ringside, though, uh, were Muhammad Ali. And he was there and he was playing up to Mike Weaver, who was then the WBA champion. Uh, so he's playing up with Mike Weaver and also a young Jerry Cooney. So you've got Muhammad Ali and Jerry Cooney at ringside, kind of shadow boxing and, and that kind of thing. So it would it would have been a really good occasion. But the manner in which Pepino Cuevas unraveled and the ferocity in Thomas Hearns, 21 years old he was at this point, point. 21 years old. There's points in this fight where you're watching it, and it looks like they've got the speed wrong. It looks like it's been sped up, the, the, just how quickly Hearns is going about his business, how quickly he's kind of uh, moving back from a shot that's coming his way. His reflexes were on point, his punch was on point, and this... I'm sure everybody who watched it, and judging by all the reports of the time, realised that they were in the presence of greatness.
1: I think this is one of Hearn's best performances of his entire career. In terms of putting it all together, you, you watch him behind the jab, brilliant. Uh, we saw that a year later against Sugar Ray Leonard for... For long, prolonged spells of the the first sort of eight to to, to twelve rounds, brilliant behind the the jab, uh, the, the nullifying Leonard, closing one of Leonard's eyes as as well. There's no doubt there were echoes of of that. But you watch Hearns's defence in this fight for as little as it lasts, Matt. You watch the defence of Hearns. Even when he's close and in the pocket, he's sort of leading with a jab, throwing that shocking, thunderous right hand. But he's he's dipping under punches. He's leaning away into the side, away from shots, uh, returning fire from from Cuevas. He's thinking about everything. And I, I don't think even within a year later, you're seeing quite the same defensively minded Hearns, whether that was... Whether that was in love with his own power or what, I don't know. But I I don't think you saw Hearns putting everything quite together in the same way really ever again in his career, like he did this night. And we only saw it for just under six minutes of it. And we've spoken on the pod before, haven't we, about the, the Duran knockout. Um, even though I don't think we've covered that fight on this week, we've tied it into other Duran fights in particular. Um, which are featured a, a couple of times on this week. But I think the Duran knockout is probably one, the most frightening in boxing history for me. But this is a pretty close second. There's Cuevas face plants in the same way that, that Duran does. But uh, unbelievably, he gets back up at eight. <laughs> what is he made of? And I think the referee, I think Stanley Christodoulou, is gonna, I think he's going to let it go on. But by the time he turns round to let it go on, uh, Cuevas' corner have already walked in towards Cuevas and they're, they're about to usher him back to his corner. Otherwise, I think, Cue- I think they would have let it go on.
0: Yeah. I mean, they said on the commentary, didn't they, that there might be some controversy about that. Um, but it does, at the point where Cuevas goes down, not only that, the manner in which he looked like he'd been tasered just beforehand, his whole body just, just bends so uglily from the effect of, of, of a, um, a Tommy Hearn's right hand. That is, that, that, that is game over. Um, that wrecked Pepino Cuevas. I mean, he was a bit of a slow starter. I think he lost his debut. He'd lost a few on the way up. But he was a fearsome champion going into this fight. Fearsome. Really, really well regarded. I think he went on to lose seven of his last 12, but Graham Houston, who was covering it for uh, Boxing News at the time, one of the best boxing writers there ever was and and, and still is now, um, he said he'd never seen such a devastating finish in a fight that was regarded to be competitive going in. The only one he could compare it to was when George Foreman beat Joe Frazier, but he made the, the correct point that George Foreman wasn't fancied to win that. That wasn't regarded kind of as a 50-50 fight. The other one he mentioned was uh, Joe Lewis beating Max Schmeling in one round in their heavyweight rematch back in the nineteen thirties. But this was exceptionally devastating; it was ruinous. Um, and you're right, fans that came into the sport like me in the nineteen eighties that were really came along when when Hearns was around the time he he was fighting Marvin Hagler, and then he had a bit of a roller coaster career after that. To to to, to pinpoint Hearns's best qualities. You most so- certainly wouldn't be saying it's his defense and it's the, the deft manner in which he can move back and avoid punches because he wasn't infamously. He was kind of rolling around and against fighters that you shouldn't have been like the likes of James Kinchin and, and fighters like that. He's having real struggles with, um, but at this point, yeah, you're right. You are immediately taken with it in that first round, in that first minute, the manner in which Hearns is not only attacking, but he is also defending, You'd be watching that at ringside, and you would think this guy is
1: invincible. Slight cheat from Herons, isn't it, that leads to the knockout. He's just—he's holding his left arm out completely straight, and he's almost like target practice. He's almost the range fighter with his glove, sort of against the jaw, struck side of the head of Cuevas, with his left glove, and then he just rolls that right hand right onto the right onto the jaw. He'd landed it on the top of the head about eight or nine times in the previous sort of four and a half, five minutes. Just shocking power. And I think both the Cuevas and the Duran performances, maybe it was a stylistic thing. You know, two guys, compared to, to Hearns, relatively short, and two fighters who both stayed right on the edge of range or just inside the edge of range. In other words, Cuevas and Duran were probably... The perfect foils for Tommy Hearns as a welterweight, and therefore, no surprise that we saw two of the most spectacular performances of his career and two of the most shocking displays of power that you probably ever saw and perhaps ever will see in the welterweight division as well. When you see Hearns against Cuevas on this week and Hearns against Duran, which was to come, Matt, only one of, I mean. <laughs> Duran seeing the Cuevas fight and then fighting in the same way, you just think, what on earth is going through your mind what are you What are you doing Because it's an absolute replica in every way and a more devastating, shocking uh, finish
0: yeah, I mean, they simply didn't have the dimensions to compete with Hearns, did they you you, you you're so right with that um, and read it again this what, what Billy Giles was saying, and Billy Giles was spoken to again a couple of years later. what what has Quavers got to do to win this fight? And it's just like he is going to cause Hearns all sorts of problems when he gets inside and he's kind of his unorthodox movements moving inside. The fact is, as soon as he did anything, he's just being clocked by the long levers of Hearns. And you, know, what, you, you can criticise Duran's performance against Thomas Hearns, but it's just all wrong for him. And now and again in fighting, in, in, in boxing, you just get, you get a certain style of fighter that will never beat the man in front of them. Sure, if Roberto Duran fought Thomas Hearns ten times, he'd get knocked out ten times. And exactly the same with 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 Cuevas as well. Um but when you see Hearns as a welterweight like this and his dimensions and how spidery he is, it's it's astonishing that he made one four seven.
1: Oh, I mean it's just when you see him against Cuevas in this fight, you just think, what what is going on with this sport? How how are, how are these two guys <laughs> in the same ring, at the same time, fighting each other. I mean, it's just astonishing. Hearns as a welterweight in that kind of form, just about the most frightening thing on planet Earth. Ultimately, it was a RSC, wasn't it? Really, it was referee stop contest, not KO, not take TKO. However, it's, it's down in the history books. Really, it's referee stop contest. And fair play to the Cuevas Corner for stepping in. Two things to note. The Cuevas side parting, thing of beauty. That shock of jet black hair, beautifully combed to one side, just a thing of beauty. And then the anomaly and the almost the, the irony of Tommy Hearns in those white shorts. He always pulled his shorts up, didn't he, Hearns? Sort of right up his waist, sort of almost like your granddad does with his trousers, <laughs> Hearn's is not your granddad and you don't want to be calling him names just because he pulls his his boxing trunks a little ungainly and a little too short up beyond his belly button he looks ridiculous but <laughs> i would i wouldn't have told him so back in the day matt
0: no absolutely not it but it, it, it does bring to mind actually there was a there was a cartoon and i don't know if it was in if it was in just a comic I was reading as a kid, or it was in um, if it was in a boxing magazine, and you've essentially got a boxer who is just peering over his shorts, and the shorts are just below his nose, and the referee is <laughs> kind of giving them their pre-fight instructions, saying. No hitting below the belt. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Yeah, crikey. That would be me. (laughs) That would be me. They'd be calling it the layered up defence. Yeah, the layered up clothes defence. Right, we'll go back and and watch that. It won't take long. Uh, Tommy Hearns with one of the most frightening knockouts you will ever see against uh, Pippo Cuevas. That from 1980. What a time for boxing fans and shortly thereafter. Uh, We'll get to, I've been reading through some of the emails uh, from over the course the last few weeks and so on, so we'll get to to some of those in due course. Uh, Please leave us an iTunes review as well. We'll read some of those out next week and uh, we shall speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye for now.